0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Here Now Podcast. Before we get into it, I wanted to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Zark International. Zark is the leading manufacturer of pepper sprays since 1982. They offer a diverse range of pepper spray products online. They offer them for both personal and professional use, including pepper spray keychains, holsters, projectiles, and guns. For over 38 years, Zark has been the leading provider of pepper spray products for law enforcement and military consumers in the United States and worldwide. I'm so thankful to be working with Zark. You can never be too safe out in the world. Be sure to head to their website linked below to see their products. Thank you, Zark. Now let's get into the show. You are listening to Here Now Podcast, where we dive deep into faith, hearing loss, and lifestyle, and talk about all the things that you need to be equipped in this journey we call life. I'm your host, Sophia Labano, and this show is here for you to find encouragement in everyday life that God created for you. Make sure to subscribe to never miss an episode. Thanks for your support. Now let's get into the show. Hello, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Here Now Podcast. I'm very excited to introduce another one of my professors slash seminar leaders, Dr. Miller. We spent the most amazing 14 weeks together in a vocation seminar, and I'm so excited for him to bring some of his expertise and just inspiration to everybody. So Dr. Miller, welcome to the show.
1: Good to be with you, Sophia. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: You're so welcome. So why don't you take some time to introduce yourself to the audience?
1: So Joshua Miller uh, is my name. I'm married to Brooke. We've got six wonderful children. The eldest is 21 and is in the army right now. The youngest is six. And she's, um, she's delight. Uh, They're all delightful, but a wide variety. Um, And my professional background is very much devoted to helping persons understand how God has designed them uniquely uh, by exploring their stories of deeply fulfilling activity. Um, so that, that's that been at the heart of my professional work for, for many, many years. Um, about 10 years ago, really became more and more interested in uh, personal vocation and became convicted that the church is teaching about personal vocation although very, very rich and necessary, um, is sort of on the periphery of Catholic life. So a lot of my time has been spent trying to build a culture of personal vocation as a coach and a coach trainer, and as um, as somebody who writes and, and teaches about the importance of personal vocation formation. And as I'm mentioned. at Franciscan University in various capacities.
0: Yes. Well, I've gotten such great opportunities to work with you and... Um... So many of my friends did as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your personal vocation story? Like, how did you conclude that your vocation and state-in-life vocation was
1: marriage? Mm. I am a convert to the Catholic faith and uh, largely through through the pro-life movement. That was very important for me. And I had been in a large public school, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, dropped out of it, did pro-life work, and... Uh, then when I finished that, I went to a little small Catholic school called Magdalen College in New Hampshire, and uh, at that time, uh, just got immersed in the church and met, met a woman there who became my wife. Uh, she was a senior. I was a freshman at the time, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still older than her by, by several months. So I, I explored the priesthood at one point very very intentionally and decided that that i wasn't called to that that there was no desire there Um, and i'd given the lord what i felt was his opportunity just to pull me there if He wanted to and uh, i was always drawn to my wife brooke from uh, uh, my freshman year Um, but i had decided very intentionally that i think the lord's calling me to marriage and so unlike some folks who fall in love uh, and are focused upon just one person. And that's what launches them into marriage. Mine was, was this, I said, Oh, Lord, I think you want me to be married. And um, I I wasn't dating at the time. So I was thinking through who, who interests my, my, my heart, who sort of (laughs) stirs my heart. And I asked Brooke out. And that was the beginning Um, because you know, the sparks lit. And because I knew her, I trusted her character and I'd seen her in action. So I think it was about six months later when we were engaged.
0: Oh, so wow. It didn't take too long. That's so you're like, I knew that was the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so you said you were a convert to the Catholic faith. Did you have any beliefs surrounding vocation when you were growing up before converting?
1: In the Protestant world where I was raised, we certainly emphasized the value of, of work and one's unique pattern of motivational gifts and the connection between that pattern and work itself. Um, in some Protestant circles, if you the claim is that if you really want to love God, you're a missionary or a preacher. And so i knew that that was wrong because of my father and my grandfather who trained me in the work that i do today they they remain protestant my grandfather's passed away um so so i never had this idea that vocation really had to do with priesthood or religious life um if that answers your question I'm i'm rambling a bit perhaps no
0: no no that's absolutely okay. true i mean okay. you know we were discussing in the seminar how Growing up, I was only trained that there was four types of vocations, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you can elaborate on this as well. Why don't you kind of discuss the difference between the universal call to holiness and like an everyday vocation versus mm-hmm. the four state and life vocations that we mm-hmm. have?
1: Um, I believe that we're all called by creation to to holiness. That that, that the Lord by by our creation d- gives us a. A movement of the heart to desire him you know saint augustine says our hearts are restless until they rest in thee and so even at the level of creation there is um, an innate desire that we have for relationship with god but when we're baptized the universal vocation to holiness becomes emblazoned in our soul because we become engrafted in the body of christ And so, um, I think that's church teaches that that's where the call to holiness begins in an explicit way through a baptism. Um, I think it's important that we understand the universal call to holiness in terms of, of, of personal vocation, because if we don't, then we can think of it as, um, as sort of a common way that we all should, should, should be holy. Um and I think there's a danger there. So there's a universal call to holiness, absolutely. But we 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 must recognize that each person is going to pursue that holiness in a slightly different way, although there are commonalities, of course. Prayer, sacraments are all vital to pursuing holiness, but we've got to avoid falling into the trap that that holiness simply means standard church-oriented activities like mm-hmm. mass and prayer and mission trips etc. When we do that, then we neglect The uniqueness of the person i believe
0: absolutely so that kind of leads me to the next question on motivational design and this is something that we spent a long time Mm -hmm. kind of identifying and it's probably been one of the most life-changing things i've ever come to realize about myself
1: praise the lord sophia that's great
0: (laughs) it's just i remember your stories I can't talk about it enough to people. So let's let's kind of break it down for people. How did mm-hmm. you come to know motivational design, and what really is it for people to start to identify mm-hmm. about themselves?
1: So I grew up in a family where we were we've always been fascinated with with the uniqueness of the person, and so <laughs> uh, my my granddad in the late '50s and early '60s. Uh, began the work that I now do and that is that he was working with one of the first career counselors a guy named Bernard Haldane and Haldane had, had had noticed that when people talk about stories of success that there are common abilities there and he explored that narrative and recognized that there's a whole intricate consistent pattern of motivation um, and so my my father had done that work and when I was in high school, I graduated high school in 1990, and I'd always loved stories, Sophia. And I, I felt very distinctly called to that work. Um, so there's, there's a lot of backstory there, but I've, I've just always been deeply fascinated with how, when people share stories of being deeply involved in activity that they enjoy doing, that they believe they do well, that there's this wonderful, intricate, consistent pattern of motivational design. Um, and it's, it's there in kids who can't even speak. <laughs> uh, as soon as the kids start to speak, there's, there's a kind of unique d- desire for a kind of joy in every person. And the thing about those fulfillment stories is that we're tracking a trajectory of joy But it's not just self-fulfillment and pleasure it's it's a joy that fulfills us deeply and where we're also making contribution um so the, the motivation is is a desire to basically pour oneself out in action it's both fulfilling but also a great gift
0: yeah i mean like i said motivational design it was so cool and what would you say to people who don't have the opportunity to join the semester or seminar? Um, how can we start to do those fulfillment stories and mm-hmm. identify our own motivational design?
1: That is a great question. I'm very happy to answer it because uh, although assessments are valuable and I've worked with them, I helped to develop an assessment. Um, what I've discovered over the last couple of years is the simple, beautiful power of people sharing with one another their stories of fulfillment. We did that in the seminar, as you well know. Mm -hmm. And so I would say to your listeners this, that most of us haven't taken the time to really reflect upon or speak about our stories of fulfillment. And we define them very simply, something you've enjoyed doing that you believe you've done well. You know, as you define well, this does not have to be some great contemporary success, 4.0 grade point average, you know, winning the race gold medals, but just simple human joy and activity and, uh, identifying that. And then, you know, getting with a friend, a mentor, a confidant, a family member, and having that family member simply ask about the details of action. You know, God is a God of activity and we express our design in, in action. And so in these stories, we're simply asking you know, what the person did, uh, We open up the verbs, uh, we get detail, and then we ask what's most satisfying about that. And the person shares, and it's, it's ideal when the person listening um, simply reflects back what he or she noticed. You know, we hunger for for being known, for being recognized, and not just because of our favorite sports teams, or where we go to school, or where we are from in terms of of, of geography or family of origin, but we want to be recognized as unique persons. And these kinds of stories, which describe the, the unique person in action. When, when, when we hear them and draw them out and we reflect back what we notice about the person, it's very, very life-affirming and very simple. So as we did in class, when, when people break up into pairs and they open up one another's stories um, and, then, and then point out what they notice, it, it's very, very affirming. Um, oftentimes, people will notice in themselves and in the other uh, just, you know, a flash of beautiful gift. You know, the heart lights up, smile lights up. So there's a lot of good that can happen there. But I'd love to hear about your experience. Uh, <laughs> and so I want to just, would you share your, a bit of your experience too? I'd be delighted to hear that.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think your listeners would too. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to not talk about myself in these uh, situations on the podcast. I always let my guests open up. So thank you. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, in terms of pairing up with somebody and having the opportunity to talk to them, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was somebody I really didn't spend a ton of time with in the seminar. And even just that brief glimpse of looking at what their life is like in that short 10 minutes, it's, you know, situation that we had. Um, it really brings like a sense of intimacy and just mm-hmm. friendship to people. And it makes me think of like some of the games that you play. Like if you're doing this with one of your best friends, like you are really able to tap into them and a side that they might not share. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I, I did it and I was able to share my stories, I was like, wow, I really do feel seen because, you know, my partner was like, I see this and this and this about you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a... A selfish thing when they're no. reporting back, and you did talk about this a lot. And that is another question I had to ask you: um, is when we're doing these, how do we combat those feelings of selfishness if we're trying to identify all these things about mm-hmm. ourselves? Um, and you know, you really did change the perspective on that. That these are all of our God-given gifts, and mm-hmm. we have the dignity to talk about this. <gasps> Um, and I can't emphasize that about it enough. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> and I'm sure you have more to talk about on that as well. Um, but just, you know, to submit my fulfillment stories to you and to hear your feedback on my stories, um, I changed my major because of the seminar and mm-hmm. I really discovered where my life was headed and it just mm-hmm. reaffirmed my vocation Um not necessarily my state in life vocation, but just mm-hmm. my everyday vocation. What am I doing as um, a sister, as a daughter, as a friend? Um, and I am just so thankful for mm. for the seminar. So without uh, going into too much detail about <laughs> the fulfillment stories, um, I just yeah, I just loved it so much. It was so life giving to me.
1: It 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 truly delights me as a as just a as a, as a a teacher and a um, and a coach and somebody interested in, in the church's beautiful teaching about personal vocation to hear that in you, Sophia, uh, and yeah, the, the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it warms it warms my my heart and mine. Um, one of the things you asked about was uh, this. It's not about selfishness as people share stories of themselves in an activity that's very satisfying, um, authentically satisfying, it's not selfish. And I I so agree that that is a critical point. As baptized members of the body of Christ, we've got to change the way we think about selfhood. And in in a modern era, where we tend to think about isolated individuals, um, just in general, but also we, we have concern as as Christians often about about wanting to be humble and not draw attention to ourselves, and that's good, of course. But when we stand as a member of the body of Christ, and we recognize that we are each endowed with unique gifts, a unique motivational design, and that it's not ours in one sense. It is ours insofar as we are a participant in the body of Christ. We are a member of the body of Christ with a particular task, and God is a God of joy and wants that from us. So when we're sharing stories of being joyfully engaged in activity that's both satisfying where we're making a contribution— When we consider that from the standpoint of my membership in the body of Christ and bringing to others my participation in the body of Christ, it's no longer about the isolated individual. It is about giving God glory, um, recognizing that I'm a a unique image bearer and that he's called me to bring those gifts for others. And that part of the way we access those gifts and shed light on them is to simply share our joy Um, in, in expressing those gifts. And so when we recognize that that we're not isolated, that through baptism, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, and I participate with Christ, then I think that changes the paradigm. Um, and we need to stand in the new Christian paradigm. We're, we're partakers of the divine nature. And <laughs> that's a great dignity and responsibility.
0: Absolutely. Um- yeah, I mean, you really did emphasize that a lot during the seminar and I am thankful for that because, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of trained to be humble and have a sense of humility about it when we're speaking about ourselves mm-hmm. um, and to reframe that and God is giving us these gifts so we have to identify those in ourselves and right. it's okay to speak about them. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely changed my mindset in so many ways. So. How can understanding our motivational design help us to live our vocations more fully, whether that is state in life or everyday call to holiness?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Well, first of all, I believe that when we're talking about um, a unique sort of motivation is this, this unique drive to be a certain way and to achieve a certain certain kind of outcomes that were that were innately oriented towards so we're not talking about extrinsic motivation we're talking about this innate, enduring, consistent um, drive to be one's unique self. And so motivation is at the level of being, although it unfolds into um, certain um, skills and competencies that we have to develop. but, but the motivation itself is just this drive to be. And so when we identify it and we can see the outlines of that pattern and all these, these fulfillment stories, um, when we recognize the outlines of that pattern, um, uh, and, and see how consistent it is like a soul's code, then at the same time, we have to recognize that it's going to show up everywhere. Right? So, um, the way we relate to others, um, the way we um, we think about the world, um, the, the way that we uh, want to be intimate with the Lord and relate to the Lord. It's all oriented in part by our pattern of unique motivation. Grace builds upon nature. Grace perfects nature. This pattern of motivation reflects a unique uh, essence of the person. So um, it's going to show up everywhere. And certainly, it is the case that patterns of motivation can indicate a certain career or professional trajectory, um, or even a state in life uh, in in ways. Um, Although I think that there's all kinds of priests and religious who have, uh, there's a call there for a whole wide variety of unique gifts. So it's not like if we tap into a unique pattern of motivation, it's gonna indicate a state in life. But, but we will bring that pattern of motivation wherever God calls us because it is the shape of our soul in, in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. We were talking a lot about that, how somebody who's called to be a teacher could be mm. a priest, but also be somebody who teaches. And right. I right. think it is really fascinating that the motivational design is just something that's kind of part of us and really mm-hmm. just goes into things that we're doing in our everyday life. So how mm-hmm. does vocation and discernment evolve as we grow up, if it does at all?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. How does vocation and discernment evolve? Um, well, I would say this that a consistency, one of the, I would like to point out one consistent theme. And that is something we talked about a lot in the seminar. And that is the, the call to live the sacrament of the present moment. We don't, we don't know the future. We can desire and hope for a future, and we ought to do that. We must do that as believers. We can't change the past, though, and, and, nor do we exactly know what's going to happen in the future. But we can live each day that the Lord gives to us. He's very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that we should just let the day's own anxieties and challenges be sufficient for the day. Live the full day. Live the full moment. And so... Um, each of us are called uniquely and personally into every moment. So to, to live our vocation consistently is to say yes to what God calls in the day, in the moment. So that, that's a, that is a commonality, but I do think that youth and young adults are at a place in terms of a discernment where the, the options in many cases are so broad. So before a state in life vocation, I think that, 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 um, there's an intensity of discernment that, um, is present there. that's not so present later on. So I'm married. I've got six children. I've got professional responsibilities. And so in one sense, some of the big, big decisions are, I've already made. Um, so there's an evolving there in terms of state in life, but, um, other consistent themes in terms of discernment as you well well know and and can speak of wonderfully uh, you know our our regular prayer our listening um, our attending to needs uh, the need for confidants and mentors uh, the exploration between my pattern of motivation and the needs of the world those are all key factors and also the freedom that god gives to us that that also remains uh, a a consistent theme Mm.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned the sacrament of the present moment, and we did emphasize this a lot as well. How do we combat the secular need to always be busy and always be thinking ahead about deadlines and projects and everything with this understanding, whether Catholic or not, of being in the present moment?
1: Um, I believe that the secular culture and the spiritual forces— uh, of darkness that we find in secular culture want to strip us away entirely from, um, from real silence and, and, and dwelling with the Lord in the interior part of our being. There's so much that pushes against um, taking time in silence with the Lord. So I think that uh, for all of us, and this is just not a Generation Z issue at all, Um, those of us who are 30, 40, 50, 60 are just as plugged in uh, to the digital (laughs) world as younger folks as well. So it's not just a a youth and young adult um, issue, but I think, Sophie, it's absolutely vital for us to minimize the amount of time that we're plugged in digitally. Um, because there's um, what can happen, and I'll just give one example of this, and then back off and, and listen to a follow-up question you have. Is that um, the the brain is being transformed in such a way that that long-term memory is becoming more and more anemic because of this constant rush of of digital engagement, and so when our long-term memory becomes anemic, uh, our capacity to have um, a holistic view of our world and to examine our own selves that happens through long-term memory that becomes diminished and we have to have that. Um, So I think confronting the digital world and and insisting that we have time for silence is vital.
0: Absolutely. Um, I remember a question that my uh, sophomore year theology teacher posed to us in Mm -hmm. high school and he said do you think our memory is better or worse than the israelites and everybody's like they're better like we have so many tools to be you know emphasizing and um, enhancing our memory. And he was like, "Uh, no, can any of you guys call your home phone number? I'm like, yeah, no. (laughs) I know the speed dial number for that, but not the actual number. Um, So I was like, wow, that's so true. I mean, just for me, I'm looking at my siblings, how they're like, I don't even know your phone number. I just pressed your name and it's all good. So I think that unplugging digitally is hard because it's so surrounded mm-hmm. and we, you know, I'm an online student and I do school online and I have a podcast and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of surrounded by that. But you know, now that it's summer, I'm really taking time to sit back and mm-hmm. pray and be present with yeah. God in church. And, you know, it's so easy to be distracted in church when there's people looking at their phones and answering them during church too. So, mm-hmm. um, what are some of the ways that we can emphasize the sacrament of the present moment outside of just unplugging digitally? Well,
1: the, there's something about truth which can ignite us to proper action and uh, the truth will set us free. So, so I, I do think that that teaching the paradigm of personal vocation itself is very, very vital. Um, so So for example, if we believe that our call um, is, is, is simply a state in life and we are young people who are seeking our state in life vocation, then um, what we can fall into is this idea that, that my real vocation is down the road. I've got to figure it out. Will I be married? Will I not be married? What will be my job? What will be my course of study? Where will I live? And so um, when we're talking about vocation as a future reality, that can take us away from living the sacrament of the present moment. And when that's reinforced um, by the way that vocation is, is preached and taught, um, by the way we even do confirmation, um, Sadly, we, we so often are emphasizing state-in-life vocation, and for young people, young adults, it's something down the road. Now, when we stop and say, look, you young adult, you even eight-year-old or seven-year-old are right now a baptized member of the body of Christ who's whose vocation is to love the Lord your God with all your whole soul, strength, and mind right now, this day, and that's both dignity and responsibility, then, then I think that it, it allows us to recognize, no, actually the Lord wants me here and he wants me now. So to recognize that the call itself is here and now is I think very, very important for living the sacrament of the present moment. Um, that's one aspect of teaching I think that's, that's very, very vital. The other thing is that when we recognize that the Lord is present to us, speaking to us, wanting to be intimate with us here and now, that can also help us live the sacrament of the present moment. You know, for if, 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 if we're always saying, all right, I'm in this ball of tears, and it's someday I'll get to heaven, rather than thinking through, Lord, this is the day you have made let us rejoice and be glad in it. That whole orientation allows us to live the sacrament of the present moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's one of my favorite songs in church too. <laughs> oh, is that <laughs> right? Sing that, Yes, so you mentioned something that I did want to touch on a little bit, is what is the biggest piece of advice or pieces of advice that you have to someone who is anxious about discerning their vocation, whether it is just right now or their ultimate stay-in-life vocation? Mm-hmm.
1: one of the reasons why I I love the work of drawing out stories of fulfillment is that it helps people recognize their unique pattern of motivation and gifts, that they're one of a kind and profoundly um, uh, beautiful and uh, precious with immense dignity. Um, and that's, of course, made almost infinitely enriched by, by their baptism. And so um, one of the whole problems with, with a clericalized view of vocation is that it takes people away from recognizing their own unique dignity as, 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 as persons who are baptized So what I'd like to emphasize is the Lord made you with a purpose from all eternity. He made you as a unique image bearer for all eternity, um, special. No one's ever been made like you and no, nor will anyone ever be made like you after your time on earth is gone. And so just to, to emphasize, uh, and, and highlight the glory of the person, um, in how they're made and how they're they're uniquely called right now, and when we emphasize that and we listen to the person and and recognize who they are, um, and people grasp that for themselves, and at the same time recognize both the dignity and the responsibility of living to the full in the present moment. Um, I believe that can help to reduce anxiety. That's what I've heard from students every semester for the last 10 years is that when they really grasp the glory of their unique design and the personal vocation, which, which is supposed to manifest that unique design, um, it often relieves anxiety. Um, Also, I think that, that God, God's call and his love for the person is for them to embrace what he wills for them this day and that it's always manageable.
0: (laughs) And I think that can help
1: that can help reduce anxiety.
0: I think so, too. Um, you know, identifying that motivational design, it was not, you know, a snap of the finger's instant, you know, anxiety mm-hmm. reliever, but it started to settle things where I'm like, OK, mm. I can see where God is working and how there is this golden thread kind of working through my life. And mm-hmm. I was able to take it to prayer and make a decision based on the tools that God was giving me and. Mm. Um, and of course, that the seminar gave me as well, which leads me to another question, is your book, Unrepeatable, was an amazing resource for us to use. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about the process of writing it and what it really is about?
1: Okay. So it's uh, it's called Unrepeatable, Cultivating the Unique Calling of Every Person, co-authored with uh, Luke Burgess and... It comes from a conviction that both Luke and I have that that the church's teaching on personal vocation is absolutely vital for the renewal of the church, but yet it's on the periphery of Catholic life. And so we were and are uh, convicted that we've we've got to highlight the church's teaching on personal vocation and help make it a reality. Uh, So that was the driving impulse. Um, And we came at this from different angles. I'm married, um, I've got six children. Luke was in seminary for five years and in seminary had the best and worst of, of spiritual direction. <laughs> um, and so anyway, we came at this from, from different angles. Um, we've got different writing styles. Uh, he's He's got more, there's uh, he's more of a, a creative nerve there. Um, I'm more systematic. Um, my background is in uh, drawing out stories of motivation. Uh, and so um, we, we divided it up. So I did several chapters, and he did several chapters. Um, but we came at it very collaboratively. And um, we're just blessed to do that together.
0: Yeah, so I is, mean, is that a helpful response? Yes. I don't know if that's sufficient. <laughs> no, that's perfect. No, it was such a great book. Um, I feel like, you know, if people don't get the chance to work with you, that definitely is like the textbook for what we got to, to learn about, mm. um, which do you offer these services to people um, outside of Franciscan University?
1: Yes, that's a good question. And the answer is yes. So I do serve as, as a coach um, and and uh, but more and more I've been doing training in personal vocation mentorship. So I've been working with um, the Given Institute, which um, is oriented towards helping uh, young women young, uh, to, to get mentorship um, and different dioceses, um and, and other organizations that are devoted to working with young adults. So um, yes, so, so coaching and also mentor training.
0: That's um, awesome. So if people want to learn more about what you do and how to do what you do, um, do you have any resources or information for where they can find out about that?
1: Yes. Uh, so inscapevocations.com is um, the current website. And um, we do have a non-for-profit that has been established, um, inscapecenter.org. That one that website is still being, being built. Um, but we really felt called to participate with Catholic institutions, and having a non-for-profit really helps with building those partnerships. Um, and then they could, could reach out to me directly. Uh, my email address is uh, simply josh at inscapevocations.com. So they could email me that way too.
0: Yeah, that link will be down below for you guys to check out. And if people wanna buy your book, where can they find out about that?
1: Um, so they can buy it in several places. Uh, of course, it's available on Amazon. And then Emmaus uh, uh, Road Publishing is where is, is the publishers. They could also get it from from there. So that's the St. Paul Center uh, and Emmaus Road Publishing.
0: Perfect. Yeah. So do you have any last words of advice or anything you want to close with before we end this episode?
1: Just that that. For, for those um, who are not baptized into, the, into the, the body of Christ, the church, I urge you to do that because that's where our ultimate call is, to participate with Christ. But those of your listeners who are believers, who are Christians, and who are baptized, my, my, my message is that you are an irreplaceable, uh, unique member of the body of Christ, a partaker of the divine nature, and the world needs you. And you are called to to, to co participate in the building of God's kingdom and the story of salvation through your own story. So uh, it's vital that you share it and um, and recognize your your profound, uh, precious dignity as a unique person.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was just a sliver of the fourteen weeks that I got to spend with Dr. Miller and our cohort. Most life changing fourteen weeks, might I add. But <laughs> praise God and and
1: through through your help too. This was a collaborative effort, um, which made it wonderful. Uh, yeah, I want to mention that too. That it was really interaction that we had as as a community uh, around these topics. So Absolutely, wouldn't yes. have been at all the same without you, Sophia. And, and, oh, thank and you.
0: Yours. Yes. So guys, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Here and Now podcast. Dr. Miller, thank you again for coming on to the show. It was wonderful.
1: You're welcome. And thanks for the opportunity.
0: Sure. Yes, guys. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week on Here and Now podcast. (laughs) Bye-bye.